Welcome back to KafaroCast, everyone. This is your host, Mike Hearn. Couldn't get any big name hunters on the show today, so I got Frank the Tank and Aaron Snyder. Hello. <laughs> Frank's a big name. That's a huge bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, uh, what's going on? Mike, where are you at right now? Kentucky? Yeah, Fort Knox, Kentucky. Yeah, so for those uh, who don't know, Mike was the guy who helped me out, uh, called for me for a few days in, uh, in elk season. Mike's in the uh, military. He writes for, um, I guess, is it is it Coffee or Die magazine? Uh, free Range. Well, I wrote for Coffee or Die for a bit, now I write for Free Range American. Gotcha. So, all so all under that? the... Black rifle coffee umbrella. You're a modern day uh, Mark Twain. Yeah. Oh fuck no. So I am a I I use the term writer loosely. I am a um how do I, how should I say I'm a work creator for editors. <laughs> gotcha. I uh I know the first time I wrote an article years and years ago, uh, I should have paid more attention in school because I felt bad for the editor because uh, there wasn't a lot of periods and. Not a lot, no hyphens, nothing like that. He used uh, fives for S's. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. So that's uh, that's how I feel every time I submit a project. I'm like, well, uh, here's this steaming pile of shit. Can you make it something good? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you got it. You're into photography and video as well, aren't you? Yep. Yep. Uh, so. Which. How- that all kind of stemmed from I started when I started writing or started getting paid for articles. I was like, well, I'd listen to you talk about photography forever. And I'm like, fuck that shit. Photography's gay. Um, <laughs> but then when I started writing and getting paid for articles, I was like, wow, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to sell an article to somebody if you have your own art to go with it or your own photos. And if they're good photos, it, it's just a little bit more appealing to a potential publisher. That is a fact. And, uh, Talking like with the Eastmans and everything, I mean, that really ruins a lot of people's chances or potential to get into the magazine is they just, they don't have any, they don't have any art behind it, no photos. And, and the ones they do have are horrible or cell phone, but not big enough to blow up for the magazine or whatever. And, and uh, we've talked about that. I don't know we've had a few different people on the podcast, but fo- photos are dang near as important as their article. Mm-hmm. I mean, not That's- dick pics or anything, but like good photos. Yeah, Frank's I use a wide angle for the dick pics. <laughs> I've been trying to trade Frank dick pics for gear for years now. Frank has a two millimeter <laughs> wide. <laughs> See, when you when you got a small wiener and a chick asks you how big it is, you just tell her. You just don't tell them if it's centimeters or inches. You just I, I see. Yeah. I find like the wide angle is just like a glamour shot from a chick. It's no different. It's uh, false advertising, but it's there. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you shave the like, hair off, use small hands. It's a good deal. <laughs> that's why Trump. That's why Trump has had such a successful life. He's got those. He's got those small hands. Uh, that's funny. And this podcast is taking a weird turn already. <laughs> yeah, no yep. shit. Well, Mike's in the army. He's used to it. Yeah. So, how? Um, uh, for those who don't know, Mike, you're fairly high speed. What? Uh, how? What are you now? E eight. How many? Yeah, yeah. And you got did that. In April. How uh, how many years? Oh, I got promoted in April, so it was right before I hit fourteen years. Gotcha. So, so. that's uh that's pretty dang quick. Um, I mean, is that uh, like what would you say is average to get E eight? Uh, fifth. Uh, I would say like sixteen, seventeen years is probably 
average, but yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty fast. It was, it was faster than I expected to make it. If you'd have asked me 12 years ago if I was going to be a 14-year E8, I'd have told you, uh, fuck no. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm pretty sure I, I was pretty sure I was on my way to getting kicked out of the army when I first joined. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. Uh, hadn't been too bad for you. You work with uh, scouts quite a bit. Um, I mean, what 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 have you done, and what are you doing now? If you can talk about that. Yeah, I can. Um, so I start. I'm an infantryman by trade. So I started my career out in the 173rd, which is an airborne unit, and then went to the 82nd, uh, where your where your good buddies from, and and they hand out gallons of kool-aid and i drank a good bit of the kool-aid while i was there and then i went from the 82nd to be a one station unit training drill sergeant down at fort benning georgia for all the infantry guys um from there i wanted to kill an elk so i went to fort carson and kind of left the airborne community uh which is is the airborne slash light infantry community as you know aaron is is a little bit it's a different breed so going to fort carson was a a completely new experience for me when they started saying um, IEA, I, I got all fucked up. I'm like, what is IEA? <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> it's different in the cav. Yeah, way different. But even like an armor, the difference between an armor and a light infantry unit are, are completely different. But uh, I went from, so at Fort Carson, when I was there, I was a uh, scout sniper platoon sergeant. So I was in charge of the battalion, the battalion's reconnaissance elements and employment of four sniper teams. And then from there, I got hired to do a job up here at the Army's Human Resources Command, which is the desk job, but it's been pretty cool. Um, and then I'm coming back to Fort Carson. Yep, then you're coming to work for us. Actually, you're going to be working for Frank, so you're fucked. Frank doesn't like white guys. Oh, uh, <laughs> That's I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll make sure I have a sweet tan before I start. <laughs> Use the spray-on shit. That way you can wash it off later. That's what Frank does. <laughs> you know, most of the time we're in meetings and... Uh, we're just drawing dick pictures of dicks. So yeah. I just looked. Did you draw all the dicks oh. on my notebook? <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. like on my little notebook pad. There's like several different types of dicks. There's like dicks walking, dicks driving bikes, dicks just shooting. <laughs> there's all these penises on my notepad, so I get to. So yeah, I'll fit in good. I like I like to draw dicks in people's unsuspecting people's notebooks fairly high up like high-ranking people's <laughs> notebooks so then when they go to a meeting with someone that outranks them or is of an equal rank like let's say a full bird colonel right because of where i work draw a few dicks in his notebook and then he sits down with his boss who's probably wearing a star and he's opening pages and then there's giant dicks when he's ready to take <laughs> well we're talking about drawing so yesterday i met luke before we went hunting and uh where he parked, I thought he went to the gas station, which would be, you know, 12 o'clock uh, front of the truck. The liquor store, which is actually where he went, was to the 6 o'clock. So I'm riding on his tailgate, peeking around, uh, thinking he's coming from the store. I love man chowder. And <laughs> I'm trying to be sneaky about this. And then luckily, I hear the ding, ding, you know, whatever. He's, somebody's coming out behind me of the liquor store, and it's Luke. So I tried to pawn it up, like play it off. And I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, man? I was going to throw my stuff in the back. And he's like, oh, no. So he totally missed it. And there was people honking at him when we were driving to go park to, to hunt. He had, he had no idea. But, yeah, I drew uh, I Love Man Chowder and a big cock and balls on the back. Oh, that's, does, he, does he know yet? Oh, yeah, he figured it out later. <laughs> he just left it on there. Uh, well, yeah. And then I had both the deer in the, the truck today, so 
I was doing fine for a while, and then uh, I had a few people honk, some wave, other people glare at me. Um, yeah, it is what it is. It's Colorado. Yeah, they're probably pissed you took uh, some food away from the wolves. Oh shit! <laughs> that's a sore. That's a sore subject. God yeah. damn it, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I saw, um, I think, like, Garrett or somebody, Garrett or Grant uh, Gillespie on their Instagram, they posted a breakdown of the voting for that Proposition 114, and it was, like, Boulder, Denver, and possibly uh, one of the surrounding counties here. That Those were the only few counties that had voted in favor of Wolves, and uh, basically the rest of the state said no which um, would be kind of like, you know, more of your liberal counties voted yes for it and then more of the people that actually have to live with the wolves. That would actually live (laughs) live with the wolves and uh, more of your hunters, hunter demographic, all had said no. So that's a breakdown of Colorado for you if if anybody's interested. I mean, that's how it works, though. I mean, Colorado's turning in. I grew up in upstate New York, and upstate New York is super conservative and that's you you go far enough north Aaron you were a drum you go far enough north and and you're uh you're you feel like you're in the south other than the cold weather I mean it's the men are men and the sheep are scared up there um but New York City is where the majority of the population is so the the laws in the state are super liberal because everybody in the city kind of leans left and everybody way upstate leans right but there's there we're outnumbered upstate that, I think it's a that's no shit. There's some out, uh, you know, like like redneck uh, backwoods dudes in northern New York. It's actually, I mean, I don't know. You're like other than the cold, northern New York is pretty badass, and uh, especially in the Adirondacks. But it would freeze the fucking balls off a brass monkey. Like uh, you were never stationed in Drum, were you? Nope, but I've been up there. Yeah, you got a snowshoe to the Chow Hall. What the fuck? Is that? <laughs> really? Yeah, no shit. I mean it. I mean, I don't know now if they've changed anything, but, like, snowshoeing to the chow hall was pretty common. It's no foot an hour, lake effect snow. Well, mm-hmm. you know. And I've had buddies I've had buddies that at Fort Bragg, because I'm in North Carolina in the south, right, they don't have the money. They don't have it in their budget to plow roads and shit. So we get a quarter inch of snow and everything shuts down, right? So we're all like, all right, we're getting hammered in the barracks. <laughs> I text my buddy while I'm drinking at like 8 o'clock in the morning in the barracks. I'm like, hey, man, how's it going up at Fort Drum? We just got off for a quarter inch of snow. And he's like, they let us wear our neck gaiters to PT today. And he's like, I got a sock <laughs> on my dick so it doesn't freeze off. <laughs> there. There was, there is no shit. There was guys that were the their PT shorts under their sweat swoops, uh, froze to their dick, and it mm-hmm. peeled the skin off. And these aren't what? stories. This is true. Like yeah. when I was uh, so I, I was a uh, twelve Bravo. So um, for for infantry, uh, you're a medic, whatever. You go to a basic training in different places. I was in Missouri, uh, and so you know when you when at the end of graduation they. I don't think they still do it this way, but they call off your name and where you're going, right, after, after AIT. And I remember to this day, you know, uh, whatever, PFC Snyder, uh, drum. You're and I'm like, fuck. no, I didn't know. Oh. Where the fuck Woo-hoo. is it? I said Fort Lewis on my shit. What the hell? <laughs> so <laughs> there, Sergeant Millsap came over. He's like, oh, I got two things. I'm going to tell you, you're going to be doing some high-speed shit. You're gonna fucking freeze to death, and I'm like, yeah. And he goes, he said, Fort Drum is kind of the unknown 82nd, meaning 82nd and Fort Drum are both light fighters in high speed, a lot of good training. But he's like, dude, I have friends in Fairbanks that say Drum is worse. I'm like, are you oh. fucking kidding me? Yeah, 
Yeah, so it was interesting. It was cold, but you do what you do. Like, well, you you were Bragg's not bad, but um, man, Benning, not so much for me. I'm not a fan of Fort Benning. I'm not gonna lie. I've been there a whole lot, it's, and I don't want to go. It's the butthole of the planet. Like, it's probably still humid down there right now. <laughs> I know it is. It's still 100 percent humidity and like 70, 80 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Matter of uh, fact, I saw guys talking about they dude almost got bit by a cottonmouth yesterday down there deer hunting. I saw him posted on a Facebook page like, "Be careful, the the nope ropes are still out." Do they uh, on military bases like that? Do they go through and try to take those out, the cottonmouths and venomous snakes, or do they just say you guys got to deal with it as as soldiers? Ah, uh, no, they just let you. You got to kind of deal with it as a soldier. I mean, they don't they don't really care about them. They they, so every installation is kind of like its own game management unit, basically. And um, and so they have their own biologists on the base, and they try to take care of all the natural wildlife that's out there. So, yeah, like Benning's loaded with rattlesnakes, cottonmouths. There's a lot of not cool animals on Fort Benning. Spiders, black widows, and brown recluses. But It's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of, uh, like, game management units and... Um military bases and stuff. Have you guys hunted on Fort Carson? I've heard there's some big elk on there, but the hunting is kind of weird because they shut down different blocks at different times. Well, and, and you it, can't come to the same one twice. So, Oh, okay. Um, it's been a long time for me. Mike, you might know better, but when I was down there, we fished a lot downrange, but um, if you hunted one area, you got to leave that night, and you don't go. You don't know that you're going back to the same area the next day. Is it yeah. still like that? Yeah, so Carson, every Army base is different. Like Fort Knox, where I hunt now, is they've got a pretty good program. Fort Benning, ironically, has the best program of all the Army bases I've hunted on. But um, Carson's is, because it's its own game management unit, it is weird. Uh, you have to you show up at the hunt control office, right, which would be like the CPW office for, for normal people out in the world. You show up at the hunt control office on base, and you have to go to a kiosk and check an area out. And so it's first come, first serve at Carson. So if, and like being in the military, you have no benefit over, you know, a civilian because it's its own GMU. And um, so you show up to the kiosk, check your spot out, and then you can go out there. But there's a ton of extra red tape that goes into it. There's only certain roads you can drive on. There's only certain shit you can do. You can't go to certain places. And then because it's a military base, uh, spots or training is the number one priority. So if somebody drew a deer tag for Carson, um, for let's say second rifle, well, deer's a bad example. Let's say someone had an archery elk tag for Carson, um, and Carson was shut down all of elk season. Then that that elk tag is is no good. So that's kind of the that's kind of the the gamble you play is if the areas are going to be open or closed during your season, because Carson doesn't. If it's open, they'll open it. But if there's troops downrange training, they'll keep it all closed, and they don't really care about your tags. That's pretty crazy. I wonder how the, uh, so I grew up in Pueblo West, which is just south of Fort Carson there. Um, and uh, I know they do a ton of bombing because you'd hear it, or training and dropping a lot of bombs and ordnance and shit. You'd hear it like every night. I wonder if that, mm-hmm. uh, that affects the, the animals very much or if they kind of get used to it as well. I think it really, I think they kind of get used to it out there and then they know kind of where to hang out and where not. I mean, the biggest, the biggest animals on, any army base are in the impact area where they're firing the artillery or dropping the bombs and shooting the bullets. I, uh, I saw a 200 inch deer. I was driving down a road the other day here on Fort Knox. I was driving down the road after sitting all morning 
and I saw a friggin' he was a, he, it was the most beautiful typical whitetail I've ever seen in my life. But he was in an area, one of those impact areas where you can't go in because there's unexploded ordnance and you're just not supposed to go in there. <laughs> well, that's not good. You try to go in there with a, like some sort of permit with a, like a minesweeper or some shit. <laughs> eh, I mean, it's just flash your Copenhagen yeah. lid. Don't you have like yeah. somebody that can drop you off with a helicopter or something? I, I, I know guys that are prone to, if it's like a rifle season, they're, they're prone to, to take the orange off and put it away and kind of slip over the lines. But <laughs> you got to put your training to good use. Yeah, that's funny. Now, Mike, why don't um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the elk, elk hunting with uh, before and after uh, you went out here this year with a couple guys, and then you came and called for me. H- how'd it go? Uh, fuck, we got to talk about this. Um, if you want to, it, it went. I mean, it was it was a weird season. Uh, super dry. The elk. I didn't hear. So when I was hunting originally. What was that? I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. There was no. I saw no huge bitches in the unit I hunted. So we hunted. My my buddies and I hunted an over the counter unit, and I've got a ton of knowledge in that unit. I've taken. This is my fourth year hunting that unit, and we've taken three bulls out of there in four years, which is which is pretty damn good for archery equipment and it being an over the counter unit. But this year we went in there, and it was just we didn't. He, we, we saw elk, but we couldn't keep up with them. And those two guys are Snyderites, so they're running around with stick bows, um, which makes it even harder. And then we do we just couldn't get them to talk. And if they're not talking, they're hard to kill during archery season. It's too loud, and it was too dry. There was It was miserable. And then the snow came. Those guys got tired of elk not cooperating, and they rolled out. And I text you and... You're like, come call for me. I'm like, I'm on the way because this spot sucked. And the muzzle loaders were all over the place. They were riding their four wheelers places they weren't supposed to ride four wheelers and doing what they generally do. So they kind of blew my spot up. So, like, when you got down uh, from from me, you guys went through that storm up there. And then when you got down to with me, we had pretty good weather. Um, in fact, was it uh, what day was it we called the herd into camp? Was that the first day we were in there? The- that was the first day we were in there. So that was second day because we went to that one opposite side and didn't get into anything. So that was what? I want to say it was like a, the Tuesday after muzzleloader, right? Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I came to your place on Sunday. We went out. We hunted that one area Monday evening, Monday morning, and then Tuesday we bumped over to the to our alternate patrol base there, and that's when things started getting lively yeah it was crazy because um i think you said man i think i heard a bugle and yeah then we heard another one and then uh i think you ripped a bugle off and the whole freaking herd was like 150 yards below the tent and mike scooted back and uh they were coming i scooted around the corner and and but what happened is went like by the time when i scooted around the corner they were probably 50 yards from the tents and but the wind was bad but I mean, we had a fairly good. Well, I mean, you, I get, there was at least three different elk I could have shot inside of twenty yards that you'd called in. They just weren't big. Probably the one I should have shot was that three by five. Uh, uh, Mike was hiding behind a, a root wad. I thought you could see the bull because it was standing there for five minutes at fifteen yards. 
and uh, that big one had just crossed, and he was huge, and then that, that smaller bull came down. I probably, looking back, should have probably shot that, but it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, you, there was, uh, I don't know. That's See, that's a tough situation because you know there, you knew there was big bulls in there, like big bulls, and uh, to shoot that one, I don't know. That's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. I'm glad you stuck to your guns. And I'm not glad you didn't kill shit, but I'm glad you stuck to your guns and didn't shoot a dink or a cow because there was a couple times where I thought you were definitely <laughs> going to murk a rag or shoot a cow. Oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, it was an interesting year for sure. But I, I mean, I don't whatever regret not shooting one, but that one there was hard not to because he had a good side, uh, you know, and he was <laughs> begging for an arrow. It's funny because he finally did the show yourself bark. And I saw Mike hit the ground and start low crawling backwards because I, I, at that point in time, I thought, okay, Mike has no idea what size this bull is. So you low crawled like a ninja back another 30 yards. And, uh, you know, because the, the bull didn't blow out when he barked. It was more like a, hey, where are you at from Mike's calling? He's hiding by that log but or that root wad. But nothing ever came in aggressive, What I guess is what kind of the weird thing was. Like we'd have bulls screaming in uh screaming but they just wouldn't they wouldn't commit like they normally would i mean smaller bulls would but i it's a good it's a good area um the one time uh mike lost in rock paper scissors and had to go down and get water and a fucking herd walked right to him up the canyon Um, (laughs) mike you want to talk about that (laughs) well yeah so i hike what do you say it was like five six hundred feet down to get to the water and um, I get down there, I've got 10 liters of water. I got a couple four liter bladders and our, our Nalgene bottles. I get down there, I get everything all loaded up, get my pack on my back just in time to hear a bull bugle straight down the drainage from me, like probably a hundred yards. And I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like I'm down here. No, no weapon. I got 10 liters of water on my back and there's like two, 300 yards of open mountainside that I have to get up to a tree line where they're not going to be able to see my ass. So I ran my little five foot five legs as fast as they would go up the mountain so I could get out of sight before they kind of crossed where I just was filling water. And then sure enough, right about the time I hit the tree line, I could hear the cows going nuts and that bull just kept bugling. If you'd have been down there, you'd have been able to sat, sit right on the edge of that tree line and wait for him to walk by and stick one because the wind was good. Yeah, and then by the time I got down there, the wind was bad. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a cool cool season. Um, what uh what do you got going on there? You shot a, I thought you shot a couple of does. You shoot a buck yet? I haven't shot a buck yet. I've shot two doe. Um, I've seen I've seen a bunch of bucks. I'm just so Fort Knox. I'm hunting on Fort Knox on the base, and uh, I know there's some there's some huge deer here. One of my buddy's kids. Well, I was I always leave this place for the best time to kill deer on this because it's public land best time to kill them is september to early october when they're still kind of in their summer patterns or right now during the rut but there's a lot of luck involved with where you're set up but one of my buddy's kids killed a he killed a freaking booner like 170 i want to say it was 173 inches um in september while i was out in colorado so there's some big deer out here so i try to let the the smaller ones pass and and wait in hopes of seeing a big one yeah how um you've had pretty good success down there over the last couple of years since you've been there haven't you yeah yeah i've murdered a bunch of doe and then i think i killed a hundred and he was like 130 something inches not huge but a good a good 
just nice, solid, heavy four-year-old buck. Um, but I killed him wearing orange in a, in a gun area while all the gun hunters were out there. It was, it was actually, and again, pure luck. I mean, I I got in the tree, and then this jack wagon, I watched his headlamp go 100 yards beyond me and climb like he was in a tree 100 yards away from me with a muzzle loader, right? And I'm like, and it's still dark out. I'm smashing my horns together trying to tell him to get out of here and shining my light at him. Like, hey, dude, you really going to set up 100 yards away from me? Well, smashing those horns together actually brought a buck in that he shot, and then he got out of there. <laughs> <laughs> he shot a buck right out from under me. So I uh, I moved to another spot like 150 yards away from where him and I both were, and just pure luck that buck walked underneath me. I was like, well, he's big enough. He's going to die after the day I've had. So, How but, often do you run into that? Frank had that happen the other day here. Somebody, what, 150 yards under you? <laughs> 80 yards or something like that <laughs> set up yeah. underneath us on a bluff. I mean, it was rifle season, so it wasn't like the wind was fine, so I didn't it didn't have to go say anything. But, yeah, we were sitting up on these bluffs with my dad uh, first thing in the morning, and then we kind of sat there most of the day, and kind of right when you want to get back in the, in the afternoon, this guy comes and sets up right below us. <laughs> and the weeds were like five foot tall anyway, so it didn't matter. He wasn't going to see anything sitting down there, but it was just like, come on, man. You can see us up yeah. here. We're wearing bright orange vests and hats. Uh, you know, I don't know. Just how it is public land sometimes. It is, yeah. And it happens a lot out here. You'll, I see guys complaining all the time. People park like if I if I if I'm out here and I see a vehicle in a spot like I I and it and we're in the whitetail woods, right? So it's it's a little bit more compartment. It's not as wide open spaces and stuff like that. But if I see a vehicle parked. I'm not going anywhere within like three, four, or five hundred yards of that vehicle. Like I'm gonna go find a different spot. So, but it happens. It happens a lot. There's a lot of freaking jerks out there. Oh yeah, that's without a a doubt. I think some people just maybe it's the way you were raised or whatever. But I don't know if you heard Frank talk about this before. Go into what Jordan happened with Jordan on the antelope hunt. That they had that blind he built. Yeah, and yeah, buddy, built a blind, set it serve. up, set it up on a on a water hole, and he got there uh, to hunt. And there was a guy in there, and basically told him that the law states that it is, yeah, it's first come, first serve on ground blinds or, or whatever, even if it doesn't belong to you. So, well, I'm taking my fucking lumber back then. Bye. <laughs> Start <laughs> yeah. taking that shit apart. Yeah, exactly. Or yes, you could sit in there with him or something. But yeah, there wasn't. I think his hands were kind of tied in that situation, and I just yeah, his I kids find it. I find it hard to believe that people are like that. Like, if I'm in somebody else's shit and someone comes up to me and says, hey, this is my shit, I'm like, oh, man, fuck, I'm sorry. Like, I'm out of here. But <laughs> people are like, no, man, uh, law says this is its first. Like, I can't believe people are like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I've never experienced it, but, yeah, I mean, uh, um, yeah, the, the rifle thing last weekend was a little bit a little bit interesting for sure. What, um, as far as, like, my kind of what are your – what do you got going on in the in the in the army now? Like, are you going to be able to write out the job you have? What What do you got coming up? Um, so the job I have right now, I, I work at Infantry Branch at the the Human Resources Command. So I manage all the infantry sergeant first classes and kind of give them professional development advice as well as manage their strengths across the active duty force. Um, my next job is going to be at Fort Carson. Not a hundred percent sure what it's going to be yet. But I am going to try to ride that one out as long as I can. Um, really, I, I'm planning to come work for you guys 
and I'm trying to get out of the Army right at 20 years, so I hit retirement, and I can collect a retirement paycheck so I'm not a starving artist, and I can skip that whole phase of life. Um, but it, all that, me retiring in five years hinges on me not making Sergeant Major, and because I made E8 so fast, there is a chance that I can make Sergeant Major pretty... I could make Sergeant Major fairly easily, um, but I'm trying to kind of slow my career down a little bit or slow my role a little bit by taking less competitive jobs. Gotcha. Well, what's the chances of them bringing you in? Well, I guess if they try to pin E9 on you, you're fucked and you got to do, you're going to have to go past 20, aren't you? Yeah. So if they, if I, if I, if I get selected, they don't, you don't get selected for promotion. You get selected to go to the Sergeant Major Academy. If I get selected for the Academy, that's, you incur additional 24 months service remaining requirement from when you graduate and then usually it's about 36 months from when you pin Sergeant Major because they're going to get their pound of flesh out of you after they've trained you. So um, so that would add another five years to my career and another probably three moves. If I'm lucky, it would only add three additional moves. No, I'm over that. It's not the life for me anymore. I'm tired <laughs> of moving around the country. Yeah, no kidding. How's your uh, You're married. How's your wife uh, handling all that? She's good. She uh, she works for USAA, so she she's able to work from home and, and makes pretty decent money doing it. Uh, the moving sucks. She's she's excited to come back to Colorado. We both we both like the West uh, versus the East and the humidity and the, the heat and the the mosquitoes and the ticks and all the all the awesome stuff that's out here. Um, but she's she's good. She's got a really good job and she can work from home, so she's able to be mobile and they kind of support the. The military lifestyle. I think like they give her, I think they give her 40 hours when we have to PCS. They give her 40 hours of paid time off to PCS. So it's like equivalent of like a week or two weeks off. Dang. Uh, What's she gonna, PCS stand for? Uh, so it's when you move. So what the fuck does that stand for? Permanent change of station. station PCS. Yeah, yeah, that's Jesus when you move. Christ sorry. Um, well, there's all kinds of different abbreviations. As Fr- Frank does our military orders, which Frank's learning, but. There's PCS and then TDY, which is temporary duty. What is TDY? Temporary duty. I don't know what the Y is, but it's temporary duty. I mean, yeah. You just it's you're going. It's basically like a business trip. TDY is the military word for business trip. Yeah, because you guys say like I'm on TDY to whatever. So technically, like any school you go to would be TDY, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then there, God, what are some of the other abbreviations? Guys were asking me the other day, and I could not remember all of them. Uh, there's FUBAR. Well, that one, <laughs> I know that one, yeah. Um, oh, what uh, the DD-214, that's your paperwork when you get out that states, like, what you did. And yeah. honorably discharged, that one's important. And then uh, some of the shit now, the newer, uh, like, trying to talk to some of the Tier 1 groups, and they're throwing out different... Like, fuck, guys, I haven't been in in 20 years. I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. I, they had just went to a 240 um, when I was getting out, right? We had M60, so that's how long I've been out because I don't think any does, – does anyone use a 60 anymore? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when I was in Korea, I've told this story before. This is when I learned that getting hit does help you learn shit when pain's involved. We were training with the, the Rock Army, and we were doing the headspace and timing – and uh, when we would get it wrong, you know, you whatever, you got to do push-ups if you fucked it up. Well, they got fucking hit in the back of the head really hard when they fucked it up. And they learned a lot faster than we did. So that yeah. made me like, huh, there's something to be said for that. Because <laughs> they were there kicking is. the shit out of us. Absolutely. I mean, it's like the hot stove. If you touch a hot stove, 
don't touch the stove, it's hot, you touch it, you get burned, you're not going to touch it anymore. If there's something more at stake or something a little bit more your physical well-being's at stake, you're probably going to do a better job. Yeah, that's no no shit. But so what um do you think that uh what are you predicting is going to happen with your last few years here? Mm, it's hard to predict. Super hard to predict just because promotions are all based like I said I I am taking the appropriate steps to slow my career down. Um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should be saying that publicly, but I'm taking those steps. It's happening. But I think as long as there's no great need, I should be good. I should be good for 2026. Come sign some papers at Kafaru and Frank start cracking the whip. Yeah, no kidding. Well, who knows if Biden ends up in office, we could end up in uh, World War Three. and then your ass isn't getting out. Uh, I mean, it depends on what's going on. I mean, if it's... I will I will go AWOL if I don't if if we're fighting a civil war, I'll go AWOL at least. Depending on <laughs> depending on what side's doing what. Yeah. No how is uh how is the state of the military overall th- with the with the craziness of the election right now? What do you th- what's uh, your opinion? I mean, we're not really from a military standpoint, we're not really supposed to talk about it. I don't I think that the military right now, I'm, I can speak about the Army. I think the Army's really healthy and the Army's moving in a lot of a good directions or getting a lot of the stuff we need to be able to modernize because we've kind of been in a war with a bunch of booger eaters. So now we're trying to train for peer-to-peer combat. People with a little bit more technology or the same technology as us. And I think we've taken a lot of steps to kind of get back up to speed with the rest of the world and rebuild the force, which I think is good. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the state of it will be once we have a different president in. If we have a different president in, I guess, I should say, I don't know. Yeah, who knows what's going on right now? Are they recounting a few states because of all the bullshit that went on with the the ballots? I'm, I've been watching videos of, I'm not a ballot counter, but it sure looks a lot like some guys are filling out ballots and, and uh, time stamping them and shit on a lot of the different things I've seen, uh, videos and stuff. It didn't look overly ethical. Man, I, I, yeah, I have no clue. It's a, It's an interesting time to be an American. That's a good way to put it. It is definitely that. I think the hardest part's uh, seeing who you can believe as far as the media goes, like who's reporting what. It's so biased now. It's like you can't even figure out what the truth is. And um, yeah, if you that, can even that. trust the counts, like who knows if they're even posting the correct counts. I think it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, a lot of fake news out there for this sure. This is a good one. This is Hillary Clinton driving a UPS truck, just <laughs> dropping off the rest of the ballots for yeah, you guys. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit on a shingle. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting time to be an American. There's going to be a lot of good memes and videos after this election's over, that's for sure. Yeah, it's hard to understand, too. Like a uh, coach at my gym, she's from Venezuela or Colombia or some shit, and uh, she's like, can someone here explain the election process to me? I'm like, I, honestly, I I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. So. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to keep track of, I think. Frank, are you still getting after the CrossFit? Hammering the CrossFit? Yeah, man, it's fun. Yes. You can cross fuck off. Yeah, st- <laughs> That's another one you need to record on this thing. Sorry, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm still doing <laughs> it. Yep. Yep. Been doing it since last <laughs> April. It's fun. I enjoy it's it. It's good. What um, do you do? Are you doing CrossFit, Mike? Me? I am doing uh, Whitetail Fit right now. It's super, super strenuous program. So <laughs> wake up about 4 o'clock in the morning. You drink ungodly amounts of coffee you walk up to a mile climb a tree and you sit on your ass and you 
go eat unhealthy gas station food, and then you do that same mile walk and climb up another tree and sit on your ass. So I'm whitetail season's always rough for me. I get way out of shape. I just went through that same program. <laughs> yeah, it's expensive. So, you need the extra calories to stay warm, though. That's the part. That's what Barclow said. Is that what he said? You need the extra calories to stay warm. He but, said fatty food, so I'm like, well, he said fatty food, so I got the fattiest <laughs> shit at the gas station. Oh man! And I still got cold. My wife, my wife yells at me every time. She's like, she's because she sees the credit card and she's like, "What'd you take for food out there?" And I was like, "I didn't take shit. I went to the gas station and bought like fried chicken and shit." And she's like, "Oh no!" She's like, "I'm buying you food to take out there. You need to stop that shit." Yeah. Oh, good lord. What um um uh, well on that note, like when food, whatever else, um, like you know, people you know ask me um. Uh, somewhat frequently, like, you know, we did that podcast with Tetra, like, you know, how much did the military help me with backcountry hunting? And, um, and obviously you're, you know, much farther advanced, done more than, than I have, but the two things really that land nav and just knowing you can get the shit beat out of you, I'd say that's the two biggest things I took out of the army. I really didn't, you know, there's some other things, but navigation and, uh, just knowing the fact you can abuse the fuck out of yourself and you're still going to be okay. You, what do you? What about you, Mike? Are you taking anything out of the military to help your backcountry hunting career uh, from the military? Uh, so, I mean, a little bit of gear. I've gotten a little bit of gear just from you know deployments and army stuff. Like I was running long before I ever backpack hunted. I was running those Sea to Summit compression sacks, the Event ones that are waterproof because we had the shitty army issued waterproof bag, right? Which if you put it over your head it looks like a starry night those things aren't fucking waterproof so i started buying stuff like that as a as a young soldier just to like keep my rucksack organized kind of life hacks but i live out of a bag 90 when i'm doing my actual infantry job as a light infantryman i'm living out of a bag so it gets you used to that uh you learn how to pack a bag right because if you're walking 18 miles with a ruck that's lopsided or all the weights at the very bottom of it you're gonna fucking feel it and you're just, it's like the Koreans getting smacked on the back of the head. You're not going to do it again. But, yeah, I would say the biggest thing is just, like, stuff to me that I – when I'm trying to talk to a guy about backcountry hunting or doing things and I see guys do stuff like my buddies that were out there, one of my buddies, he had his baby wipes freeze on him while he was out there. And I'm like, I keep I keep my baby wipes in my sleeping bag. And I don't keep them in my sleeping bag so they freeze. I, don't, I keep them in my sleeping bag because I don't want to wipe my ass with cold baby wipes in the morning after <laughs> I have coffee. Like, I want them warm. <laughs> I want a warm towel in the morning. So just little things like that. But land nav's definitely huge. And, yeah, I, you can definitely uh, – you learn how much you can suffer. I mean, after after going to ranger school and, and sucking that dick, I, back, backpack hunting's a breeze. Well, and you did that later on in your career, didn't you, for a job yeah. position? Yeah, I did it. I did it as an E7. Um I did it as a sergeant first class halfway through my platoon sergeant time because uh, I grew up in the 82nd. I was in a scout platoon. I was on a recon team. Um, so I liked I liked that aspect. I liked being able to kind of work with soldiers that wanted to be there, and I could handpick my guys, and it just made life easy. When I got to Fort Carson, uh, my, my new sergeant major, my boss, I was like, hey, I want the scout platoon sergeant major, and he said, well, you ain't got a ranger tab. I said, roger that, sergeant major. Hold my beer. I'll be right back. And I went to school, and came back and took the platoon what are uh what was some of the toughest stuff that you did in uh in ranger school or what 
give us a breakdown of, of oh, how that goes. It's it's just a shit show from the beginning to the end. So the school is like 60. If you make it straight through, I think it's 62 or 65 days long, somewhere in there, between 62, 65 days long. Um, there's three phases. The first phase is at Fort Benning, Georgia. It starts with the ranger assessment uh, week, which basically they smoke you up. You do a 12-mile foot march, five-mile run, obstacle course. Um, then you go from that to your actual patrolling. You get patrolling classes, and you have to go out and pass patrols. I would say that the hardest part about the school is you have people that have no sleep, and have not eaten food for 24 hours, and you're trying to get them to do shit that is strenuous. You're trying to keep them in line, and you're, you're trying to conduct military operations with people that are starving and, and sleep-deprived, and you're getting graded on it. So if Frank is not pulling security or Frank's asleep on the machine gun and I'm the weapons squad leader, then I'm the one that get I, I fail or get a no-go because Frank was passed out and I didn't make sure his ass was awake. Um, but but the, that's pretty much the majority of the school is they want you to suffer and they want you to lead troops under duress. So everyone doesn't get to eat, everybody doesn't get to sleep, and it's a if you make it straight through without recycling, it's 60, I want to say 64 days. We'll call it 64. And if you recycle, I, I, went, I was there with guys that had been there for 180 days. They'd been there for half a year almost. Wow. So how that works, Frank, there's different phases, and when they recycle, you got to go back through that phase. Now, I was in during the Clinton administration, and they shit-canned that. Uh, you could have one no-go. One, you, could, you, could, uh, you could fail one phase, and that was it, just because uh, Clinton was uh, a lot of budget cuts and saving money. Um, but you could only go through – you can only have one – like, well, basically, you can only reclass once – or not reclass, recycle one time. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, cause I asked you that when uh, we were on the mountain, if they still, you know, did that, but I think that was just a Clinton budget cut thing, just saving yeah, money. I'm sure it was. And then, and I don't, there's a, there is a limit to how many times you can recycle, but, um, I know, I know I graduated with a kid that was at Ranger school for six months of his life, <laughs> which he's a better man than me. Cause I don't know if I'd be staying for six whole months. That's holy shit. Uh-uh. And it's one thing like uh like sills um some of those things do carry over like uh for uh with stop look listen and smell but getting your eyes acclimatized uh you know different thing you know basically checking your surroundings and stopping and taking a knee there are certain things that definitely transfer over to backcountry hunting that are applicable to patrolling but um other things I mean, I think, like I said, the most thing I took out of it is the the amount of abuse your body can take. Uh, now, this is on a combat MOS. Obviously, if you're a fucking pack clerk, you're probably not going to get quite the same value yeah. out of it. But, um, you know, there's other shit. But, I mean, for the most part, um, it uh, like 12 milers, I think that's why I can walk so fast with a crazy stride is doing so many fucking 12 milers because you're doing them every three months at a minimum, and it sucks. Yep. Yeah, you get you get used to that, and then again, Doing a 12-miler every three months with a minimum of 35 pounds on your back. That's 35 pounds dry, so you probably actually have 45 pounds with your water weight. So doing a 12-miler every three months, you're you're going to figure out how to wear your boots. You're going to figure out how to wear your pack, how to fit it, what works best, how to pack it right. And then things like sills and stuff, I think there's a lot of stuff that in backcountry hunting, if you're a good hunter, 
transfers over to killing people, right? <laughs> so if you can if you can kill an animal that spends its life trying to avoid a predator, especially with like a bow, like stalk in spot and stalk sow hunting, I think that stuff. The kids in my sniper platoons that were the best at stalking were were outdoorsmen, like avid outdoorsmen, not Johnny just hunted opening day and smacked a deer and left, but the guys like you and Frank that are avid outdoorsmen, it was easy to teach them about camouflage techniques and and overhead movement. They already they already understood all that stuff, so it, then you just have to apply it to the human eye and even even like glassing, right? Um, you guys are probably better at, at glassing than a lot of guys in the army, or even a lot of snipe. I would say you guys are probably better at glassing than a lot of sniper qualified guys that aren't on the special operations side, because you do it a lot more, and you're looking, you're you're just doing it a lot more, and you're doing it in a more practical manner. Whereas the way we train, we can't always train as practical. Um, we're hanging shit in trees, trying to make guys find it, like target detection exercises. But uh, so there's a lot of stuff in the backcountry hunting world that transfers over to the army. Gotcha. So if you, uh, for anybody listening in and the younger generation that may be thinking about joining the military, do you have any words of advice for them? Uh, what? Well, let me gotcha. let me rephrase that that question, but also. The guys that you talk to that are like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to join the Army and, and go Special Forces or uh, I'm going to join the Navy and be a SEAL. What are the, the chances of, I mean, break it down from um, Delta or whatever they're called now uh, to uh, ODA team, Ranger. Attrition rate-wise, I always try to mention, like, highlight the fact like, hey, there's a very low probability you're going to make it and you may end up being a fucking cook or some shit job, but kind of lay all that out how that works and what your advice would be should they join the coast guard or dive right in and go in the army <laughs> uh i mean well it depends on what they want to do right me me as a young as a young man i definitely i i'm not i wasn't joining the army to play the fucking trumpet i wanted to i wanted to kill people and i wanted to jump out of airplanes as a as a kid right so i was like went to the recruiter i was like hey i want to be an infantryman and they said, okay, cool. And I was like, how do I get to jump out of airplanes? They're like, well, you got to be an airborne infantryman. I said, roger that. Sign me up. That's badass. I jump out of airplanes and shoot guns all day. Got it. But it really depends on what you want to do. Uh, I would say of the branches of the military, the big ones, now I don't really know much about the Coast Guard, but the Marine Corps, you, you don't get to pick your job. If I know, if I'm speaking correctly, I'm pretty sure. The Marine Corps, the Navy, and the Air Force, you kind of they kind of pick your job for you. You might get to put in a wish list, but they pick your job for you. With the Army, you're going to at least get to pick your job. So, um, And then if you have dreams and aspirations of, of special operations, I would say the Army has more avenues into special operations than any other branch of the military just because the Marines are small, right? The Marines, you got MARSOC or the Navy SEALs. Same thing for the Navy, but... In the, in the army, we have you know we've got the rangers, the ranger battalions, not the ranger qualified guys, but the actual scroll and tab wearing rangers in the battalions. We've got the green berets and the ODA teams. We've got Delta Force, and then we've got we've got other special operations stuff like psychological operations guys and civil affairs guys who fall under that special operations umbrella. So it's a lot easier to get your foot in the door with special operations in the army, but. Um, if you're trying to be a real boy, it's still, 
it's still pretty dang hard to be a real boy on the special operations side. There's a huge attrition rate, and they're especially if you're if you're talking Delta Force, they're looking for a they are looking for a very specific person for a specific job. And if you don't fit it, you could be the fittest, most intelligent individual. But if something with your personality doesn't fit, or something's they don't like something about your personality, and they don't think you're gonna fit in that star shaped hole just right you're not going to make it. Gotcha. Well, there you go, people. So what you're saying is go to college. No, I'm just <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, go to college. There's way more chicks at college. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not. Maybe as much drinking. There's a lot of drinking. There is. There's a lot of drinking at college. I don't know. Um, the 82nd airborne division on our patch, it's got the double A's and I'm pretty, I don't know where I heard this. This could have just been an urban legend, but, I was pretty sure when we got back from one deployment, they were talking about how our shop at, the basically the gas station slash liquor store, uh, there's a 24-hour one on Fort Bragg, or used to be. I don't know if it still is, but it sold more alcohol than any other like liquor store in the nation. <laughs> so they, well, there you have it. <laughs> they said we were. They said the 82nd was the most among the most functional alcoholics and fittest and functional alcoholics in the world. <laughs> something to be proud of yeah absolutely <laughs> so uh i guess um because we're getting close to an hour here where can people find your uh your photography your writing uh that kind of stuff if you want to get insta famous you can throw your um you know instagram handle now i think it's mike i like baby dicks underscore yeah. <laughs> mike it's mike i like baby dicks underscore hern um <laughs> You guys, yeah, I don't know. If, uh, <laughs> now, if you guys want to follow me, it's Mike underscore Hearn, pretty pretty regular. Um, and then if you want to read any of the articles I've written, they're all on uh, the Free Range American website. I think it's freerangeamerican.us. But uh, you can just, if you Google Free Range American, you'll be able to find it. You're supposed to interview me at some point, aren't you? Are you writing an article yeah, on I'm, getting your I'm, ass kicked and elk hunting? I'm writing the I'm writing the rough draft right now. It's it's, it's going pretty dang. It's it's going good. It's almost done. Once the rough draft's done, I'm gonna actually and my editor looks at it and kind of helps me restructure it so it makes sense and it's not retarded. Um, I'm going to call you and then we're gonna get that part out of the way so that way people can stop asking you about your childhood and stuff. They can just go read it. There you go. What's a, uh, what's a typical word count on an article for you guys when you guys write articles? Ooh, ooh. So you're asking a guy that's written like ten articles, right? I'm, I'm, I'm faking it till I make it, Frank. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> I'm faking it till I make it. But I've written. So I did a huge bino harness review. That's the biggest article I've done. I we, I took ten bino harnesses and I came up with testing parameters and took a bunch of guys that know how to kill shit pretty good and we went out and we ran the test on all the harnesses. I think that one was like, fuck, I don't even know. I'd have to pull it up and look. But uh, it, dep- it depends on what I'm writing. If it's short content, then it's short content's like five, 600 words, like quick, just to, to kind of get stuff out there. And then longer content is, if it's a feature, like Aaron's article is going to be well over 2,000 words probably. Yeah, so usually like with uh, Eastman's or... Uh, Peterson's bow hunting that usually it's like fifteen to seventeen hundred words, not to exceed two thousand. And then the the first thing they're going to say is, you need the artwork to go along with it. Like, um, you you need photos. Photos make the article. It's going to be the big one. But, um, and, and 
Go ahead. How is print doing right now? I don't think it's doing worth a shit, but Mike might know better. I well, are you talking I, about Playboy or <laughs> picture books? No, yeah. How is uh, how is print? How is uh, the mag? How are the magazines doing? Is it is it transferring over to like electronic uh, blogs and uh, internet type magazines, or is it is print still doing okay? I on the print side, so I've been basically strictly on the uh, on the internet side or the the digital side of. Of writing, and I—I I mean, I don't—I don't know if print's gonna die, but I think why am I gonna pay for? Uh, why am I gonna buy a magazine subscription when I can go online and read outdoor life basically for free online? You know, so I think it is—it is starting to—it is starting to, to kind of die out. So, but, and I mean, if you fo- if you're following trends, right? I'm not a huge trend follower, but black pretty much anything Black Rifle Coffee does turns into gold. And Black Rifle Coffee isn't publishing any anything print. They're doing all digital. So yeah, yeah, they're definitely smart about the direction they they travel. You should have them get your get you like a custom coffee Viking brew or something with your picture on it <laughs> with a spear <laughs> and a trad bow. Uh, spear and a trad. You got. If they come up with this, I want five percent. Damn it, this is my idea. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't. I have to. I don't. It. uh only talked to Evan a few times. They follow me because of the stick bow stuff, but I don't know if I could talk him into doing a Viking blend. <laughs> yeah. Call it harder than woodpecker lips. Blood red or something. Keep, yeah, just, good. Wood, just woodpecker lips would be good. Yeah, good to keep the wing up. <laughs> yeah, a little splash of Viagra in there. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool. Well, Mike, you got anything else to add before we hop off here? Uh, I get No, I don't think so. I'm pretty, pretty, pretty uneventful fella i'm regular feller you guys had you guys had must have been hard up for guests no i said well i was thinking about it uh yesterday and i was like i was planning on getting you on after elk season and then i didn't stop shooting shit so that didn't happen but i had a kind of a lull here last night went overly well so i didn't have to worry about shooting anything this weekend yeah last night was pretty cool hey i do well we can talk about it after the podcast i'll talk to you about once i get out there Cool. Kind of get my life in order, linking up with you guys. No, yeah, no problem. Frank can kind of go over some stuff too. So yeah, we'll hop off here, stay on, but turn off record and shoot shit. But everybody, thanks for tuning in. I uh, don't forget to check out Luke's new state record mule deer we shot last night. Mine should should be coming second place. <laughs> uh, and uh, definitely, what Luke and I shot are much bigger than anything Nestor has killed this year. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Uh, those those bucks Nestor's shooting are small. Ours are much bigger. <laughs> you guys can start up your own little guiding service. Yeah, like what are we gonna call it? Fat white dude in Mexican. <laughs> change <laughs> change Nestor's Nestor's name to the Dink Doctor. The Dink Doctor. Oh yeah, we can call it Luke. I shoot hogs. Cadillo. <laughs> he was so freaking funny because, uh, you know, one. I don't own any orange, and I certainly did not bring any with me. So, uh, you know, Luke wasn't planning on shooting. So I'm like, dude, you got orange? He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, in the back of the truck. So I shoot mine, no problem. Well, fuck, man, that other deer came out, and, you know, I pulled the the, uh, the mag out of my, my rifle. I'm fucking, I'm trying to find that thing, get the gun to Luke. He's trying to, because I had taken the orange off after I shot mine. We were loading it in the truck, and, uh, 
fuck, I couldn't remember where I put it. And I'm like, you know, fuck it. And he's worried, you know, anymore now, obviously you're in a position that of no notoriety. So he's trying to get the, the hat and the vest on and he flips his over. And then I'm supposed to go meet my, um, uh, my, my, my daughter and her, well, husband, now they got married last night or they're going to have a real ceremony, but they went to the courthouse. So we were supposed to go to dinner. So now <laughs> you just show up bloody. To uh, it. I did. I was all fucking bloody. right <laughs> now. We got two deer dead. I'm already late. I'm trying to get things gutted. And then, yeah, I was uh, a bit dirty when I got to, to dinner. <laughs> it was an interesting evening, but I dropped those deer off. Their bodies were big. What yeah, was, they were big body. What was, was crazy? They, uh, uh, were there does and stuff? Were they coming into rut down there? Or they, was, just... they came right down, started rubbing on a tree. Um, I mean, like literally dropped straight down out of the dark timber and just started rubbing on tree. Well, the one I did started rubbing on trees, so it was uh, pretty cool. Um, not very happen. Not very often do you, you know, mine's probably seven or eight. I guess his is five or six that you tip over two deer that age class and in fifteen minutes apart from each other. What's your assessment of the six five PRC so far? I'm I'm a fan, but you know I've done enough with it to to say the one thing nice that it is flat shooting. So I got a ballistic turret on my scope. Haven't really touched it. <laughs> <laughs> all, of, all my buddies are six five haters, so it doesn't matter. Well, okay, most of my friends hate the Creedmoor, so no. they talk shit. And then I'm like, well, what about the PRC? And they're like half and half like Avery's always sending me these right Avery's always sending me these memes about the creed more I'm like dude don't you guys have a 6.5 PRC yeah, they do. <laughs> he's like you fucking hypocrite yeah but I think no. it's like anything that people find something to hate on but when you yeah it's, it's like saddles 6.5 creed more is the saddle the tree the saddle, tree saddle. <laughs> yeah yeah like did you see us shitting on uh Cody, Cody the other day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was laughing that poor bastard. The thing is, when you're used to putting, you know, using a single string bow and dropping shit or a compound, I mean, really, it could 308, 30, 30. It's a fucking big step ahead of what I just had. So, like, guys are like, oh, I can't believe you went with it that caliber. I'm like, this is what those guys told me to get. They said for what I needed. They said it's the best. And I'm like, what do you think? Oh, you should have got a 300 rum. And I'm like, well, what the fuck am I going to do with that shooting? You know, I'm not. I'm not launching fucking 700 yard bombs, right? Like I'm, this is something to put our dad down when I'm when I'm guiding. Occasionally, you know, tip over a mule deer. People get pretty uh, anal retentive about the whole. Uh, pretty crazy, I guess. Like guns, religion, Trump, Biden, kind of all in the same uh, same thing. Uh, I, and you know, I don't know enough about it to, you know, to, to man, argue. Back in the back in the day, my dad was telling me a lot of people used to use a 243 or a or a six millimeter on elk way back when. Oh yeah. Or he was to also tell me um, back in the sixties, like everybody, my dad's kind of old. <laughs> back in the sixties, nobody was using a scope on their rifle, and then uh, his older brother purchased a scope, and the whole family was like, "What the fuck are you a sniper now?" And like all <laughs> all that shit it was like a, like a three X scope. He had it on a on a, th and he also purchased a three hundred H and H Magnum, which was like a really big ca caliber back then, and people were hating on him for that stuff. So it's just funny how innovations come out. And yeah. People don't like change apparently. Yeah. Yeah. It evolves and everyone talks shit about it and then they succumb to it. Yeah. Except for tree saddles. I'm not getting in a saddle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. They, I will say I, I haven't been in one a whole, whole lot, but enough. It's kind of one of those deals as far as tools in the toolbox. 
that motherfucker is handy when you need it. You don't, mm-hmm. you know, you, it's not something where I'm like, well, I can't wait to go sit six hours in my tree saddle. But there are times, I mean, there are people that do that, but there are times in specific p- space and places that that saddle is super fucking handy to have. And there's other times, I mean, it's great sitting in a tree stand, but. Are they more comfortable than a tree stand? Man. I don't, think, I've ever I don't seen one think they are, but I think they're good if you're trying to go lightweight. If you're going like steep and deep and want to be in a tree, I think a saddle would be good. But so here's here's where I use mine. Let's say I, I'm sitting in a whether it's a climber, hang on, or or tree stand, or a, or excuse me, ladder stand. If you're in a specific stand, and let's say you sit in there two days, and the same bike buck walks up and down a creek row creek bed, let's say 150 yards from you or comes out into a different place where he obviously is feeling, you know, safe, a tree, you're going to make some commotion putting up a ladder stand. You're potentially going to have to saw some shit off the tree if you're climbing in a, a climber. Uh, sticks in a, in a stand are quick, but the saddle, you can get over there stealthy, right, and, and, and literally pop up right where you've been seeing that deer come out and be laying there as a sniper, you know, and let's say, you know, he's coming out at, I don't know, whatever. It gets dark at 5.30. So let's say at 4.50, you know he's coming out. You can get in there, silent as can be, by 3 o'clock. You're sitting in a diaper, yes, but he's not expecting it. Do you, like, cut a little hole in your pants if you got to drop a deuce? Or Man, I haven't come to that point yet. I tell you, the biggest thing is you better learn to tie some fucking knots and know what you're doing or you're coming oh, out yeah. of <laughs> quick. Like, it's not like a hookup. Like, it, you can't fuck up a cl- or a, a hang on, right? Strap goes around tree, hook it back, pull it tight, good to go. Throw the platform down. You can fuck yourself up in a in a saddle, like those memes where it would look like uh, what they were sending to Cody. Where what do they call that uh, bondage? Oh, yeah, you can yes. kind of look like that. <laughs> you could toss him in that thing, have to shoot upside down, look like Legolas. Well, I was, I was just talking shit to Cody, <laughs> telling him. Like, hey, I heard that saddles are, are like, more like you're 100% more likely to take selfies and call 120-inch deer slobs. <laughs> uh, he killed a big one the other day. He did. He killed a slob. And he killed that one before he got in the saddle, so that's why I felt all right talking that shit to him because it was irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Lord. Well, cool, man. Um, that dude, my phone just ringing. That's the next podcast we've got, so we should hop off here. But uh, Mike, man, I appreciate all the the help and support for Kfaru coming out and uh, calling elk for me. And uh, yeah, look looking forward to you to get the fuck out of the army and come work for us. Yep, I'm on the way. Five years. My seat. <laughs> Save my seat, Frank. Yep, we got you, man. Cool, man. All right, we'll take it easy. All right, bye. See ya.